I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello from Brooklyn. This is staff writer Jason Kebler, and I'm joined with Brian Merchant, the editor of Terraform and what, senior editor of Motherboard? Something like that. I think so. Welcome to Motherboard's sci-fi movie extravaganza. We're standing here outside of Williamsburg Cinema, and we are going to go see Aloha and San Andreas and then Aloha again. Lies, lies. We're going to see three sci-fi movies back to back to back today. We're going to immerse ourselves in the cinematic vision of the future. Uh, So that means we're going to start with Tomorrowland, Disney's sci-fi epic and pain... Ian, how do you say that word? Pan? I don't know what you're trying to say. Oh, well, I overextended myself. Anyways, Disney's ode to the positive thinking in the future. Uh, This has gotten really mixed reviews. Um, People are super divided on it, so I'm really curious to see how it fares. Yeah, and then we're going to go see Mad Max, which we think will probably be the highlight of the day because it's gotten such good reviews. And then we're going to go see Ex Machina, which is, I believe, a movie about AI, but I'm not sure because we've kind of tried our best to not learn much of anything about any of these films. Yeah, both of those last two films have gotten a lot of buzz, a lot of positive sort of feedback. And Mad Max, because it's super exciting, it has a feminist element that is up for debate, I guess. We'll see. And uh, Ex Machina, which is sort of a Black Mirror-y kind of look at uh, the near future of AI. So I guess we're going to learn some things about what pop culture thinks is going to happen when the world ends and when we build robots that look like gorgeous Swedish models. Um, I think you've probably noticed by now, but this podcast is going to be a different format and have a different feel than the other ones. We are live on location. Um, I don't know where we're going to record the others, but please uh, excuse any sort of background noise. We're just hoping this will be like a fun sort of off the cuff thing. So, um, right. So we're going to watch the movie and immediately debrief if we can and just, you know, get our thoughts right off the cuff before they are fully formed and make any sort of sense. And hopefully uh, it'll still be worth listening to. Also, we're going to have a revolving cast of characters from the Motherboard fam uh, joining us you know, throughout the day because some people can make some films and not the others. But Brian, m- myself, and Karina, Brian's fiance, and Eric Franco are g- all going to see all three. So um, let's go see Tomorrowland. All right. Let the future fest begin. Radio Motherboard is brought to you by Casper. Sleep is a pain in the ass, but you shouldn't have your mattress to blame. Try Casper. It's one perfect mattress made in the USA just for you. With free shipping, free returns, and a whole 100 nights to try it out. Yeah, that's right. You can actually take this thing for 100 test sleeps to decide if you love it. Check it out at casper.com and make sure you use code VICE. That's V-I-C-E 
for $50 off any mattress. What if there was a place? Dad, I just need you to look at this. Does it look weird? A secret place where nothing was impossible. Stop it! Are you sure it's recording this time? Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, we just got out of Tomorrowland, the Brad Bird film starring George Clooney uh, and two-hour-long endorsement for Disney theme parks. Uh, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Tomorrowland. Um, Hold on just a second. There are going to be spoilers for all of these movies. Um, I think that's really the only way we can get into it, so... Um, if you haven't seen any of the movies, you can skip around the podcast, or hopefully you've seen all three, and we can just talk about it and all enjoy ourselves. But yes, Brian, did you like the film? <laughs> I I'm, I come down right in the middle on this. There's a, uh, there's a lot of things that I do like about it. Like I do like its its optimism. I do like like the portrayal of uh, like a, a badass heroine in STEM. Uh, I like I like that, and I like kind of that it was different. It was it was different. I, as a movie, I don't know how effective it was. It was really it was actually like a really bizarre movie, right? Like there's so many. That's that's my biggest problem with it was there was no real mechanism for any of the things that happened. Like there was this other dimension, but you have no idea how they originally got there or what Tomorrowland really even was. Was yeah, or is even by the end we don't even know what this is. The source of the entire you know film, like the main plot device, like it's. Like it's 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 beautifully rendered. It looks really cool. It's you know uh, like a like a very intriguing like glimpse of like one possible future, I guess. But then we find out that it's not even that. Like we don't even really know what it is in the end. Okay, so wait, but okay, so it's like 1960s, right? But then it's also Edison, Tesla. So it's like kind of like end of the 19th century is when it starts, right? That's when Tomorrowland's supposed to have started? No. Oh, yeah, isn't it Edison and Tesla? And Jules Verne? And, like, and it's like the Eiffel Tower? So it's like the end of the 19th century, they build Tomorrowland. No. no. Right? Isn't that right? No, I don't think so. I think that they just built a spaceship that can get to Tomorrowland. That I don't think they... that. See, this is a problem with the film. It doesn't make... It really makes no sense. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't... My immediate reaction... Sorry, this is Eric Franco, our researcher. Uh, my immediate reaction, Tomorrowland had all the verisimilitude of a Disney Channel original movie. I felt like I was watching, like, Spy Kids 5, essentially. <laughs> it definitely was Here's the thing, though. It was directed by Brad Bird behind, like, Incredibles. And the best things about Pixar movies are that they work for children and adults, which this, like, midway through I realized, okay, I'm this is for kids, which is fine. But... It, I, yeah, I. Yeah, I will add that we are across the street at a bar uh, talking about this right now. Um, so if it's noisy or whatever, but uh, so so to, like to recap, so what you what you've got is you have, like as as I understand it, the animating principle of this movie is that our world is is going to end, uh, the the world that you and I live in, you the movie goer, and. It's not just like a crisis of, 
industrial civilization or global warming or nuclear uh, apocalypse, which are, you know, pictured very explicitly in the film. And one of the things I liked about it was was that explicit sort of like raising of, of those real world specters, but also just of a general malaise. So it's kind of like like what was that what was that film with the with the giant dog Falcor? Like what the never ending story. So, you know, the never ending story, the fantasy movie where like there's this magical world and the big nothing is like making it fall apart because people have stopped believing in it. And that's pretty much what this boils down to, except for Tomorrowland is the best I can guess or understand it is like one possible world that we should be aspiring to. And again, it, 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 it loses that message in, it, in like the kind of like the funhouse mirror effect that when you're popping between dimensions and whatever that happens later in the film and sort of the efficacy of that message gets drowned a little bit but it kind of feels like this movie was based on like the a simple like postulation like everybody's so down about the future let's make a movie that makes people feel good about it like powered by disney and with like coca-cola product placement and then the rest of the movie grows out from that that's how i understood the movie to be and that's kind of how you can explain its shortcomings because like you know well and in the beginning it's like kind of explicit it's like what was the future like when you were a kid in the 60s which is so weird because that's when there was like the bomb and like the cold war i mean it wasn't like a time when people were incredibly hopeful for the future i thought that was no it it, so the, the world's fair it was. It both was and it wasn't. Like, yeah, yeah. So this is the age of like the golden age of like sci-fi pulps, and like that was kind of what fiction. That's what science fiction was about. Was getting into space. Like, there was you know like you'd, you'd oh, look. Yeah, the Jetsons. Jetsons was showing up. Like, so there was a lot of future optimism too. A lot more. The World's Fair, where which opens the film, was a place where like every country would come and bring its new technology and say like it's going to be great. So it was kind of like the halcyon days of a. Imagining the future. I'll also like he. Well, I think it was for you know in the in in the, in America's sort of in our timeline of like future products. Like we got grim starting in the 70s. Really, that's when all of our apocalyptic fiction started happening. The 60s and the 50s are the days of. Asimov and, you know, Heinlein and like, oh, like, robots go haywire, but we fix them and the world's cool and shiny still. Um, so, I understood what the film was kind of going for. It did want to show this optimistic future that we've seen to have lost in the last couple decades, but it didn't really do a great job of showing that because you never really learn, like, how Tomorrowland was made. Uh, you don't learn what happened to Tomorrowland because by the end of the film, like Tomorrowland is something of a wasteland as well. And they never explain why exactly like Tomorrowland is in dire straits. Like it has something to do with like Hugh Laurie's character, but it's unclear like what, like I understand. I believe Hugh Laurie's a human, I think, but, uh, it, it seems like, you know, they're blaming Hugh Laurie and this feedback loop, uh, which seems to want to be some sort of indictment on, like, uh, popular culture and the media today, like, disaster porn and just all this, you know, the world is going to end sort of thing, which I think there may be something to that. But uh, the world is not going to end because we're predicting, like, because we're talking about climate change too much, you know? And that's almost what it seemed to have wanted to imply. That was really that was really interesting. That was like that was like the 
The, the, basically, it was. It was an, a criticism, an indictment. The big, I guess, reveal is that Hugh Laurie's character has been broadcasting, like, directly into the brains. Again, it's not really clear, but broadcasting this signal that everything is hopeless. And he says that, it's, that it was in order to, like, animate change. Like, his idea was to, like, forecast doom, and then it would make people get their act together. But then we did not end up getting our act together. Which, this all brings a very interesting point because the film sets it up in opposition to these dystopian, uh, like, sci-fi films in a way, and which leads us in directly into the next film we're seeing is Mad Max, which I know we haven't seen it yet, but, I mean, it would seem that Mad Max is going to be the better film. So it is kind of like this interesting meta commentary that this film sets it up, and it... It sets it up in opposition to these films like Mad Max, which Tomorrowland ended up coming out around the same exact time that Mad Max is releasing. So it, there's, I think that's really funny. I mean, that was probably, like, probably the biggest laugh in the film was when they drove by and there's like a poster for like what it was like Toxic Cosmos, like three or whatever, like the like a, a movie poster for a fake dystopian film. And there's like all that prodding time and time again that there are all these like culture products in the film that are so pessimistic. And it is like, it seems a little facile of a commentary to think that like our greatest failure right now is just being ob- obsessed with end times fiction. And it's also, it's also just like very Disney. It's like imagination. You know, right. it's just like a very Disney thing. I mean, I don't know. It, it didn't really like bother me. I definitely think it's it's not like a critique. So what what do you think about this? Um, I forget the main characters' names because I never pay attention to that. But the heroine of the film is sitting in class uh, during this montage at the beginning of the movie, and all of her teachers are like dystopia, climate change, uh, you know these things we've been talking about. And she's raising her hand. And no one's calling on her. And then they finally call on her, and she says well, can we fix it? And no one, like, has an answer. But I really felt like this film was just kind of asking, like, can we fix it? And, like, how would we go about doing it? Um, Which is a good question, because that's what we wonder at Motherboard all the time. And, like, is the future going to be good or bad or both? All of the above. Um, Do you think that Tomorrowland offered any sort of uh, answers to that question? (laughs) I kind of have a pet peeve with... with that sort of formulation and it's actually like a really common one which is like oh it's all gloom and doom all the time and like where are all the people trying to fix it and like the answer is they're they're fucking everywhere like people are protesting you know there's just a huge divestment protest at Congress at uh, Harvard rather that lasted a week there are you know people like building great things all the time that are trying to in order to to make that narrative work you have to make it kind of seem like the great shortcoming is just is apathy, but it's not. The, the great shortcoming are all the roadblocks that are put up, you know, by corporations like Disney and it, its many subsidiaries that lobby Congress to prevent more people from affecting change, you know, that, that prevent things like more robust, like renewable energy. Like, I did like, I do like all the symbology. Like, I do like how, like, the, por- the portal to the future opens and it's like wind turbines and like in a field and then the the imaginary future are these like vertical farms and there's greenery like it's really it was interesting to see like the 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 vision of like the future city which was like a you know both 
like an ecotopia kind of. What about the fact that she's kind of an eco-terrorist? Like, she's not an eco-terrorist, but it's kind of like the way it starts out, where she's, like, breaking into government property and sabotaging the cranes. Like, that's what I thought they were going for. She's. It's, like, unclear to me what she's really doing there. She's trying to prevent Cape Canaveral from getting, you know, destroyed. And it's, it's I guess, all she could do at the moment. Um, and I thought it was going to have more to do with the movie but I think that's generally just how she was like chosen for Tomorrowland like recruitment because she was doing something you know anything but I don't I don't know I didn't yeah so I mean yeah so the the idea is it's NASA Cape Canaveral's they're like you know they're flagship operation or whatever and they're the, I think the subtext is is that they're breaking yeah that NASA has been so has been cut its funding is so low that they're like they're just taking it down piece by piece I don't know probably selling it to China or something and then she's just like blowing up the cranes or like yeah who knows crossing the wires to make the cranes malfunction so it's just like her like form of like little protest or something there's still a kernel of hope or whatever I don't know I, I think Karina said this earlier, or maybe you did, Brian, but it was a very odd film. Like, it was not what I was expecting at all. Um, there's just, like, a lot of weird action in it, and, like, you don't really understand who these, like, robot things are. Like, it, I, I feel like there were a lot of holes in it that were, like, not explained. Yeah, like, who are the bad guys, and, like, why? Blowing people, like... There's actually, like, they murder people in this movie. Robots, like, murder the cops. They murder, like, a guard at the... And then there's all this weird violence against ch- children, too. Like, the also, children get... Also, George Clooney is in love with, like, an eight-year-old girl the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Which is a little bizarre. It was That, that it was, was weird, so... but it didn't bother me because she's a robot who, like, uh, you know, he they show him as a child. But, yes, it was a little no, bit weird. definitely weird. Like, yeah. like, you understand it, like, in context of the plot, but it's still... George Clooney making his googly eyes at an eight-year-old and, like, her, like, assuring him that he she loved him. Like, it's it's just a weird effect, cumulatively. It doesn't feel like... The most surprising thing to me, it was just, I wasn't expecting it to be so campy. It was really campy. When The turning point to me was when they went to... When they traveled to Texas, I think it was, to that, like, novelty store with the two owners who ended up being robots. And... That was the first moment where, like, they brought out, like, men in black S guns, and, like, it just went to, like, full camp mode right there. Quick, quick nerd side note right there. The key played a guy named Hugo Gernsbach, and Hugo Gernsbach is the famous uh, sci-fi editor who was, like, uh, credited with, like, starting the American sort of sci-fi. He edited the uh, fantasy and science fiction, like, one of the early magazines, and he... Yeah, and I don't. It was just a weird like call out to his name. He wasn't like a maniacal robot killer. He's just so like the Hugo Awards are named after him. He's just like a, kind of a legendary sci-fi figure. So they just like I don't know. They just name checked him, I guess, for no reason. It was unclear who he was even. Like he owned this, you know, comic book store and like was kind of into the idea of like going to Tomorrowland, and then all of a sudden she, he wanted to kill. You know, the, the girl, so Athena. Wait, there's a whole it's, secret service robots. We never understand why we never understand why there are all these like malevolent robots trying to kill people who find out about Tomorrowland. And it's also kind of like a Wizard of Oz thing, like as soon as the Hugh Laurie character's gone, it's like, Oh, these guys are fine now. You know, like yeah. we don't really know if they're still evil or if they were just yeah. watching the film I was just like towards the end I felt 
as if maybe the start is another movie and then some studio exec was like but who's the bad guy and like where are the you know explosions and stuff and they just like put them in you know because it didn't really make any sort of sense to me no it does not make sense did it make sense to anybody like actually when you think about it like what was Tomorrowland the best we get is they're like what if there was a place where engineers and scientists could just make whatever they wanted without politicians encumbering them, you know? But how did how did they get there? Is it a portal? Is it the future? Is it totally imaginary? Is it, like, is it Disneyland? I was kind of unclear on whether or not Tomorrowland even existed. The version that uh, the heroine sees when she goes and, like, can't interact with anyone and they're traveling to distant starships and stuff. Because it was mentioned that this was an ad, basically, to recruit people. And I'm unclear on whether that technology was ever invented in this alternate dimension or not. Or if it was just, like, you know, a CG sort of situation. Yeah, that's by, by the time we actually got there, it, it wasn't there, right? It was like so, and they had some of the stuff. But, yeah, again, the relationship between Tomorrowland and the, the normal dimension was never explained. And I feel like that's crucial to making any sort of an effective metaphor unless it's just a science fiction within a science fiction which is kind of you know which would be but I think Jason said it before it's really about science fiction like it's kind of meta the whole you know it's about pop culture and an indictment of like we're not hopeful enough and we should just be more imaginative and excited yeah. and stop imagining the end of the world because it's poisoning us yeah I again I think you're right I think I, I think that kernel was like that was like on like whatever dossier like like, the Disney execs want to make a movie about this ride that they have, and they want this to be the message, that there's still hope. It's in the spirit of Walt Disney's old, like, 1950s, you know, development towards the future. Just, like, do something about that, get George Clooney, and, like, the rest just fill in the gaps, right? Isn't it kind of... I mean, I don't know a lot about uh, Disney and Walt Disney's history, but it's about, like, Epcot, right? Because wasn't there an actual, like... Walt Disney, like, utopia, kind of, that, like, he... Yeah, so I mentioned that earlier in the intro, and I think we actually forgot to record that one. I didn't hit the button. But uh, I thought it was Epcot because the golf ball is, like, Journey to Tomorrow, I believe. But there is actually a section of the Magic Kingdom called Tomorrowland where Space Mountain exists and, like, all these animatronic, like, visions of the future as seen from, you know, 1960 or 70, maybe. Like, the this film was... Oh, I didn't know that. At the beginning, when at the beginning when they're at the World's Fair, that's just Disneyland in California. Yeah. It's, a, it's a small world. Yeah, this part. but also like even the, that beginning part. That's all just that they just shot that in Disneyland. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it was weirdly disorienting. We had yeah, to we had to lean in because they also shot the like the establishing shot at at Queens, yeah, the World Fair. World's Fair. Yeah, wow. where 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 the globe still is, and then then they shot obviously. At, at Disneyland, which is like a weird kind of like, it's like the World's Fair, the place where like world leaders gathered to talk about the future and like to dazzle the public in 1964. And then like real world Disneyland right now is like the continuation of that same idea. Like that's all that we have left is just going on rides and like imagining the future. Anyways, uh, we have maybe 15 minutes to get to what I think many people are expecting to be the highlight of the day which is Mad Max we've all heard a lot about it because you know it came out a couple weeks ago and everyone has seen it except for us but uh, you know it's it's this is certainly a very different vision of the future um, wh- what are you expecting Brian 
Oh, I am, like you said, we've heard great things. I'm, you know, I actually really love a great dystopian film, and they are, they are harder to do than they might seem. Like, even though we've got a million of them to work with right now and The Walking Dead and all this kind of stuff, I, you know, I, a, a truly special dystopian film would be, like, a real kind of treat, I think. I have to say, um, this is going to be the first feature film I've seen in 3D, and so I'm really excited about that. <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, we've been pretty negative on Tomorrowland. I mean, I thought it was all right. The main, the main sticking point was it could have been great, at least in my opinion, but it made a great saccharin appetizer for Mad Max. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I haven't seen any of the original Mad Maxes, but I've just heard this one has got men's rights activists all riled up. I hear that it's like two hours of one like tracking shot or something like that, which I think is probably inaccurate, but that's what I maybe discerned from Twitter. I, I can confirm that there's a guy riding a steam tanker playing an electric guitar that shoots flames out of it, so if nothing else, there's that to look forward to. <laughs> okay, we'll be back shortly. So Mad Max is now in the books. How's everyone's morale? We have Ross with us this time now. He's just uh, just joined up, by the way. I'm feeling great. It's pouring rain on us. Feeling good. I feel like I could watch like 10 more movies. Yeah, Mad Max was good. I, it, was, it was anxiety producing, but we're going to get you know some beer. and. Yeah. yeah, I have one more movie left in me, but I don't know if I could do one after that. And yeah, I'd like to introduce everyone to our platform manager, Ross Newman. It's his first time on the show. Hi, Hi everyone. If, uh, if anything this experience taught us is you can watch a 3D movie in the very front row, and Mad Max, no less, you can pull it off. So, Yeah, we were craning our necks most of the time, but it was, it was good. It was good. What uh, I think that we can all agree it was probably a more cohesive movie than uh, Tomorrowland but a very different movie. Well, cohesive is not the first word that would probably spring to mind. I mean, this is a movie where, like, mutated, pale alabaster lizard men are, like, grinding steampunk elevators and hopping on semi-trucks rigged into, like, apocalyptic vessels of destruction for like two by like there's i i think there's there's literally like four lines of dialogue throughout the entire thing there's wailing like atmospheric black metal go i don't i think it was like a completely it was like a fever dream this movie was it was like a surrealist like it was insane it was an insane movie in the best way i think it was good it was awesome yeah Yeah. you liked it you really reacted to it i really i really liked it. what did you like about it um I thought, I mean, I think cohesive is actually right. Like, there's a story. It's a really simple story. They go up and back, but there's a story, and it's, like, really fast-paced. It really couldn't be faster-paced. It's, like, I thought all the acting was great. I thought it was, like, a fun, interesting world. I loved, like, the female element and 
what do you mean by the female element? But they're trying to save these women, that the women are trying to be like peaceful and, you know, I guess this is, is this the men's rights controversy? Yeah. It's like death to all men, more or less. I mean, I like that, line. I guess. Yeah, no, I like that as well. It's, it's certainly not something you see very often in film. Yeah. What is the men's rights controversy? Well, the movie's actually, has been like acclaimed, has gotten some acclaim for being a feminist movie and men's rights activists are like oh the line where probably that like he pulls it all together is the one where they're when she's like you know like kill all yeah like you see one bullet one man and like well who who got us here and it, the implication is it was the men which is not wrong which is like you know it's probably the, the yeah, the, impl- the implication is like the, that men left them this wasteland and they have to fend for themselves and they're badass now. And, and it is notable that in name it's a Mad Max film, but it's really Furiosa's yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, Charlie's Theron's yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about this world that we've inherited here. It's not really uh, all that weird if you watched, you know, post apocalyptic movies before. It's very um, recognizable, I'd say, but. Um, I still liked it. I liked, you know, they're fighting over oil and water and resources and climate change or something else has basically ruined all, all, you know, yeah. it's ruined the earth. Yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> well, it's been a long day. <laughs> yeah. I think it, I think it's new. I think the implication is like nuclear fallout. Like the soil is all contaminated. Nothing can grow. Everything's mute. There's like two-headed lizards and people have like gout from hell. Like that guy has like mounds up his leg and he, the guy has like his buddies but he's like Larry and Barry are his two tumors on his... Yeah, that was... Touches like that. Like, yeah, it really did. The world just seems like a waste. It's just literally a wasteland. But the things that they did with it, like the little, you know, dictatorship society where the... where What's his name? Immortan Joe? Immortan. I think it's Immortan. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're all weird and like the Imperator Furiosa just kind of like gives it like you, there's like a real like some even though it's like a terrible shitty society you get like a lot of the details about what is like sprung forth. Yeah, that's really good in that sense. Like you get a sense of their like religious sort of Right. Like they're so they go to Valhalla. Some amalgam like, yeah. of like Norse myth and yeah. right, like and wasteland mythology. Which to that effect, it, I mean, compared with Tomorrowland, the world building in Mad Max, it's it was so like thin on plot, but its world building was so much better than Tomorrowland with all of its bells and whistles. Yeah, uh, Eric raises a really good point. Um, Tomorrowland like hits you over the head over and over, explaining various things, even though it left many things under-explained, but Mad Max is so subtle in, in its world-building. Not subtle in any other way at all, but, you know, there's a lot to- said with, like, a little look or glance or just, like, throwaway line that you can imply a lot from. Less ambitious than Tomorrowland, and I was I was wondering like, is it even sci-fi? Does it count as sci-fi? Well, it's like speculative fiction. It's definitely sci-fi because it's in the it's in a future where the world has been destroyed, and it's you know it's like speculating as to what would happen. It's not like classic sci-fi where you're like yeah. building robots or new technologies or innovating. But yeah, no, I think you guys are like are right. Like Tomorrowland really really wanted you to like see this crazy world where there's swimming pools and that you that are levitating that you can plunge through and hop on a crazy jetpack 
In fact, my favorite part about all of Tomorrowland was like the communal like share a jetpack. I guess that's neither here nor there. But it's like city bike for jetpacks. Just like, oop, you get your time card. But you know, no, Mad Max said more in like the first five minutes where it's just like, okay, there's this like weird citadel city in the desert and like this is what people are forced to do. This guy's withholding water and resources and forcing everybody to kind of play by his rules. And Tomorrowland is just like, no, no, seriously, look at this city. It's going to be like just, but it felt more like a postcard than an actual environment. Yeah, I really wanted to see more of the Citadel in Mad Max. I mean, I know that's not uh, the point of the movie and it's it's showed enough, but I'm just very interested in like how that city worked. Um, and you, you get a sense of it at the beginning and then at the end where there's like slaves turning gears and... You know, they have, like, the breast milk farm and, you know, the water runs every now and then when at, like, a Morton Joe's will. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Through at one point and there's, like, some sort of farm going on and, like, a oh, yeah. like, hanging plants. That's, like, the only green you see in the movie, the entire movie. Um, Ross, what did you think of it? I thought it was great. I think that is, I think that impressed me the most is, like, if you put, if you basically gave the script and the idea for this movie to pretty much any other director, it probably would have been a terrible, terrible movie. And I think that the fact that they were they were able to make a basically a two-hour set piece, a cohesive movie that you're able to follow all the action in. It wasn't like it wasn't Transformers or even like Superman, where the action was so frenetic that you literally had no idea what was going on. But all of it had every one of the set pieces had a good narrative arc. You're able to follow everything pretty clearly and. Uh, I think the fact that they were able to pull that off, however many set pieces there were, three or four or five, yeah. and have all of them be equally good was just crazy to that's me. A, that's a really good point. Like, as a piece of movie making, it was really effective. Like, it was a really good... He just made the decision. He's like, you know what this movie's going to be? It's going to be about this chase. It's going to be balls to the wall. It's going to be... They're going to just be scrapping and scrimping to try to get by the entire time. Shit's going to be exploding, and it's going to be for two hours of that and nothing else. There's a really good uh, io9 article about it. That I read I read about half of it because I didn't want to give too much away beforehand, but the headline is just like Mad Max is a miracle. Like the fact that it even got made because this director, the last film he did, Eric was telling us was Happy Feet and the one before that was Babe Pig in the City. And like, you know, before that he did make the Mad Max series, but it's like in Hollywood these days, if you created something, that doesn't mean you get to direct it. And that doesn't mean that, you know, the studio head honchos don't come in and, you know, make you add a love interest and like 45 minutes of dialogue and, you know, cut it up and hand feed the audience. And that's not what happened here at all. Yeah, and, Car- and plus, and Karina was right. Like, there is, like, the, if there is sort of like a thematic undercurrent to the movie, it is. Oh, but it is it is kind of like a feminist implication at least I wouldn't call it a feminist movie but it was you know the motivation is is these women escaping and then they learn to you know they learn to load gun and load, load guns and to be badasses throughout the way and they're led by the biggest badass of all which is the which is Charlize Theron's character who's just you know real, and she, who at the end kind of like ascends to the throne and then throughout like the earth mothers or whatever who have kind of had the they at least managed the only society it sounds like anybody ever wanted to live in because they're trying to get there so at least like that through current is that like as insofar as there's a plot and an implication it's that like women 
do better than men. Well, also, also this is this passed the Bechdel test. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy in that, like, there's almost no dialogue, and yet it still, like, passes the Bechdel test. That's kind of amazing. Tomorrowland did as well, which I, if you count, if you count, you know, the, uh, the girl as a robot, yeah. Yeah, female robot girl android things. <laughs> yeah. I can't, uh, I can't remember where I read it, but someone was saying that basically the last 20 minutes of Mad Max would fail, would fail a reverse Spectel test. So if you just swap the, swap the genders, it would actually fail by nature of not having enough males sort of represented in the entire thing. So, I mean, I think as far as having a plot, the plot is very simple, but the undercurrent and the, like, purpose the allegory of the movie is very strong and it i i mean did you guys get the sense not to interrupt you but did you am i alone like was is the implication kind of that like men fucked up the world and it's a wasteland yeah and i also think there's that that image where the this is totally a spoiler but the beautiful pregnant woman in white is just like run over by this like war machine you know and that's kind of driven by the guy who raped her yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty uh, obvious. I mean, I've, I've kind of read, like, enough about it, so maybe that idea was already in my head, but it's pretty, like, straightforward. Like, men fucked up this world, and, like, women need to escape it and, and, are, reclaim, and reclaim it. it. Yeah. yeah. And that's what... And that's what was so interesting about it. Like, it is. Like, yeah, Eric's right. It was, now that I'm thinking about it, is that it wasn't really a Mad Max. Mad Max just is kind of ancillary to the action, and he kind of comes around, and he comes through at a few key junctures, but, like, there's a sense they could have gotten away the key the key was that, I mean, all the women have agency, and Mad Max isn't, like, saving the day, or, like, it was still all of them. Like, he was there. Even if he wasn't there, they might still have beaten you know, yeah. the forces of... You feel like Mad Max is there uh, because the women allow him to be. Like, at any like at any point, they could have kind of cast him off. And I... I mean, I, I knew that he wouldn't, like, leave because it's a Mad Max movie, but at any moment, it almost seemed like, you know, Charlize Theron could be like, fuck you, like, we don't need you, and I'm going to kill you, or... Um, yeah, and I think the the movie sets it up very clearly at the beginning by having him be a blood bank for like the first forty minutes of it. You know, he's chained up for forty five minutes to start the film. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's very much a uh, Furiosa movie. Although I really, I really liked him in it, and he doesn't have much, but I feel like he brings so much depth to it. I, I, I really, I really liked it. He doesn't say much. But you really get a sense of like what it's like to live in this dystopia kind of through pathos, him uh, and through yeah. like his acting. Yeah. So I haven't seen the other ones. Um, he was having these kind of like uh, visions and like terrors of you know his daughter and people he couldn't save. Um, is that canonical? I mean, does it go with the uh, the previous films or? Yeah. Yeah, it was. That's another interesting choice because you know it's completely different. Like they show him getting run down. The first Mad Max film is kind of like a very ordinary kind of. The world is not like a waste. Like he has like a house in the suburbs, kind of, and he has a wife and a kid, and that's kind of what starts the whole origin story. Is that his? They get murdered about a quarter, or a third of the way through the first film, and it sets him on the path to becoming like the road warrior which I think the actual most iconic film is the second one is Road Warrior where the the entire movie is just Mel Gibson in a car like and he's 
it's it's a similar kind of setup to this. The whole thing is just like a war zone. There's a guy. There's a there's a guy in a similar. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Literally sort of like insane get up with a metal shielding and a mask and he's leading a, leading a band of other rogue assholes to try to get oil. I mean, but... You could see this movie with, without knowing any of that, right? Because there's yeah. not really any continuity yeah. between yeah between the three previous films. Well, the no, the first three movies do are like a trilogy. Oh, okay. Like they do, they do make sense. They do follow a linear. Like his wife and child get killed. He goes berserk, and then in the second one, he's still berserk, and that's like all that's left. And I think that's the one for whatever reason. That's the one that became iconic and that people connect with most. It's just like man in wasteland and. I think that it more or less like became when you think of like the post-apocalyptic movie, you kind of think of Mad Max at this point. And this movie, I think, reaffirms that. Does, but does it t- does it start where the third one left off? Or the no, second one this one is. I guess you hate the. Uh, they call the re. They call it a reboot, but it, it could have because it's a new actor. It's a yeah. new and they, when they flash back, they flash back to her, his daughter or wife getting like run down in the road, which isn't what happened. So they kind of are restarting it. It's just that it's it's a flashback to the sentiment, which I think is totally fine. Like, why dredge up the old? So, Brian, you are our sci-fi expert. Do you think that this is an important sci-fi film? Because I, I kind of think of it as being an important cultural film because it has these feminist elements and because it's a hugely successful film and proves you can, like, give women agency in an action film and, you know be successful with it um and it's like a really really fun movie like fun summer action flick but do you think that like this will go down in like the annals of like sci-fi as being an important film that's a hard question to answer i certainly think that like sci-fi buffs won't react to it as as much in as being like sort of on their turf or in I think it's this is it's safely in like mass market appeal it's a it's a mainstream film now it's like it might be like the first hit of the summer really the first like you know it's sold this this film was sold out like we had trouble getting even into the 3D version which I guess is less popular and we Tomorrowland's been out for less time and we you know got the best seats in the house uh, showing up 10 minutes before. So that says something. Like, Tomorrowland's a proper sci-fi film with sci-fi elements, classical sci-fi. This doesn't, you know, it's a dystopia. It's a wasteland. It's post-apocalyptic. It's really not bringing anything new to the table in terms of, like, gra- backstory or, as- or like, apocalypse aesthetics. Like, the sa- it's pretty much the same thing. It does show that like that there are still interesting things you can do within a fictional future universe that you can all of those elements that you talked about I think are more interesting than anything purely science fictional that it would have uh, but certainly like the future fiction buffs are going to eat this up and love it because it's about the future and the 
Apocalypse, which is like super popular now. I think the best thing that it did is took a genre that's like really kind of getting getting boring and stale right now with like The Walking Dead on its like sixth season of the same thing and who knows how many there's more apocalypse stories every year uh, and this is the first one that I've seen in uh, probably years that's been really fascinating in fact comparison to, to zombie films would you call zombie films sci-fi because actually by the same definition it's like yeah it's, it's a speculative future you know but I don't think anyone would call zombie film sci-fi and I think this is much closer to being a zombie film than it is to being a, a sci-fi film yeah, I think that's true. And I think, like, semantics are kind of... Like, sci-fi has been absorbed into the main bloodstream so thoroughly at this point that, like, there's streaks of it in just about anything. Uh, but, yeah, this feels more like a zombie. Like, everything's dead. That's the thing. Everything's dead, and what, what do you do with your characters when everything's dead? That's... There's, there's no, like, fun new scientific gadgets. Right. Like, no, like, you know, Tomorrowland had all these things yeah. that you could look at. That were... You don't consider a flamethrower guitar a, a gadget? <laughs> there is an innovation. That's the key innovation. Flamethrower guitar wailing on... Metal. But that's a really good point, because that's the coolest thing. That's what really brought it this alive, was, like, the tooth mask. There was, like, human teeth in a mask that he... For some reason, it's not really... It doesn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, there's, like, the Volkswagen Bug that was, like, mounted on top of the on top of the semi-trailer and became, like, kind of a, like a war station. It's all those, like, sort of, like, aesthetic togglings that really give it its creativity that kind of, like, separate it from the rest of this, like... Like, oh, here's a cast of characters in the dirt, you know? Like, this is... It's clearly, like... Which makes sense, because in the future, like, you... Like, shit's gone to hell. You form tribes, as obviously they have, and there's, like, signifiers, and you... uh, Skulls are gonna factor in. It's, like, that combination of, like, brutal primitivism with, like, the remnants of technology. Yeah, you just cobble stuff together, and... Yeah, that was my favorite part of the film, don't think I've said a favorite part yet, but if this was my favorite part, you know, everything, the aesthetic was so thoroughly there. Like, you know, you had the guitars and you had the drummers, like everyone has their one job and it's, you know, they just pound the drum no matter what's happening around them. And it's just, everything is kind of in its place. Like nothing was really like left unnoticed here. One thing that we haven't mentioned is the success of all these things you guys are mentioning is due in part to the fact that uh, unlike Tomorrowland, this Mad Max used mostly practical effects, which to me, going back to the world building, that's part of its success, which is interesting yeah. because like in 2015, even though it is this mainstream film, it's kind of subversive in that it did use practical effects because yeah. at this point, it's kind of a novelty. With To me, tomorrow, Tomorrowland, it's all CG and nothing felt at stake ever. No one felt in real danger. But in this, because of its practical effects, yeah. you really felt like every every moment. That and the way that the practical effects were marshaled out, like it, the, the aesthetic was so interesting. Like it was, so like without like the design of the alien in in Alien, like it would just be another Alien movie. But because it looks so distinctive with because H, H.R. Geiger, you know, you're forever going to associate that Alien with those films. And I think that. You can look at a Mad Max movie and say, like, those, like, human teeth masks and the spiky, you know, shoulder pads and everything. You look, you take one look at it and you know what world you're in, which is a considerable achievement. And it, because it's all real, like Eric said, it does, I feel like, last a little, leaves more, it's more resonant. 
All right, so we have one final film. Woo! Actually, Eric has one more thing to say first. Oh, no, I don't. He raised his finger as if to suggest he wanted to talk. Anyways, we have one more film. It's Ex Machina. To be totally honest, I have no idea what Ex Machina is about. Um, I assume it's some sort of, uh, like, singularity-type movie, but I'm not really sure. I don't know either. I know he builds an uh, artificial intelligence. It, it's a sexy woman artificial intelligence, as it so often is. Um, but beyond that, I really I haven't, I haven't heard anything. I, I, like you, I tried not to read much about any of these before we go in. You know, Cross? Uh, I don't know a whole lot beyond that. Um, yeah, I'm just, I, anyone that I've heard has seen it, though. It's, uh, they all, they've all loved it, so I'm, I have reasonably high expectations. I don't know anything about it, but I'm excited for our third film of the day. Especially now that it's raining, it feels like we should be watching movies. Yeah, so we decided to do this like early last week, and um, all the forecasts said it was going to be raining today, so we were okay with you know spending an entire day inside. And then the day started out, and it was beautiful and lovely. And I spent all of yesterday inside for another uh, work. Uh, obligation, I guess, and I was very kind of bummed when it was lovely out. So I've been rooting for rain all day, and it's pouring, so I'm really happy that it's not, like, still sunny out. And it's pouring, just real quick, it's pouring, and I left my apartment, uh, my bedroom skylight open, so my bed is getting soaked by our flash flood happening right now, so. Eric, come on. I have to go home, too. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Eric's bed is wet. <laughs> Eric is sleeping in a wet bed. Eric wet the bed. In fact, if any, if any of you guys got an extra room <laughs> free tonight, it might be wet for a while. He's yeah. a pretty good-looking guy. You might want to, yeah. All right, X Machina coming up. Hello. Hi. I've never met anyone new before. Have you? None like you. She's incredible. The challenge is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Will it be possible? Why would it not be? You've never been outside this building. We can go together. Did you program her to flirt with me? Do you think about me? If you lie, I will know. No. Lie. She's pretending to like you. Well, why would she do that? Do you think I might be switched off? It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? You shouldn't trust Nathan. Okay, we are finally done. We've seen all three movies. We're back at the pizza place around the corner from the second movie theater we went to, and our minds were just blown by Ex Machina. Uh, we've added to our crew. We've got a whole motherboard squad now. I don't even know if we can introduce everyone, and I don't know if you'll be able to, like... Yeah, we, got Alex. we, yeah, we have Alex Pasternak. This is Alex. It's Alex. Hi. <laughs> Who else we got? We got Lorenzo. Hi, guys. And you should introduce yourself. I'm Adrienne. Hi. And you're not going to talk. Okay, we have... We have... Yeah. We have a listener, just like you guys, at the table. Uh, she's famous. That's yes. all we can say. She's famous. She's very famous. Anyways, 
I loved Ex Machina. We can get into why shortly, but what did you guys think of it? I thought it was uh, fun. It asked a lot of interesting questions about AI. Um, I also thought that for a movie that was very much about human emotion and consciousness, there was a sort of thinness of emotion in the film, and I don't know what you guys thought about that, but uh, I wanted more... I wanted more feeling, I guess. I felt a little bit like uh, I couldn't quite believe the relationships or the, the characters in some right. moments. In some ways, that's, I feel like that's maybe one of the biggest things that's missing from the film is, like, why? Why we have, like, kind of this... He's kind of like a stand-in for, like, Sergey Brin, right? He's kind of a Google guy who made a search engine called Blue Page or Blue Book or whatever. Right. Blue Book. Facebook, right? So it's kind of this like very thinly veiled, like sort of satires on Silicon Valley. So like, why? Why make an AI? Why make uh, you know? Why stock your beautiful mountain house filled with like women androids and? Yeah. So wait, 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 wait. I have to say, I think this was the best sci-fi we saw today because we saw we've seen three. And I do think this was the best because it raised the most questions, you know, about actual, like, science and technology. About the future. Yeah, about the future. I mean, Mad Max was amazing. Um, You know, Tomorrowland was fun but really heavy-handed. But this was, like, we actually, like, got to think think through. Right. This is very classical sci-fi. It does what sci-fi is supposed to do. It has a question. AI is around the corner. What will it look like? And... How will we react to it? And it also talked about the present, like, privacy concerns. Like, he's using people's Google searches to create the AI, which is really creepy. And at one point, the main character is like, oh, are you, did you use my porn searches for this? So it's kind of like... <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying, Alex, about uh, the kind of lack of depth of these characters. But I thought that was by design. It's like a, a pretty sparse movie for what it is. And the kid is like frustratingly awkward and like doesn't divulge much about himself and I believe that's by design but yeah watching it I was like come on just like act like a person would act and I feel like he didn't uh, for a lot of it and that was frustrating but it wasn't I still thought it was like a strength of the movie I didn't I didn't see it as like a flaw in the writing I thought it was like a design choice but I don't know yeah. I also thought it was maybe a red herring because I really thought, like I was saying to Jason earlier, like I really android. thought that he was going to be the AI yeah. actually because at one point they show his back and, and he has got scars. these scars. Yeah, they and wanted it looked you to very do deliberate. that. Yeah. So it looked like they were trying to get you to think that maybe he was actually the robot and the Turing test was actually meant for him. Yeah. He thought he was a robot for a while. Like that's the only explanation for why he splits his arm open, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was happening, and that was interesting. Like, and it was kind of weird that that wasn't the test. Like the test, like flipping it on him and making him question his own humanity. Like that, instead of it's, you know, it ends up being like, oh, well, I wanted to put you through this cat and mouse game where she has to manipulate you, and that'll prove she's human. Like, isn't it more proof that they're human-like that they make you question your own humanity to the point where you're willing to like carve out your skin to get to your guts so you can see for yourself? <laughs> Like, that's... I, I'm curious to see what uh, Lorenzo thought of this. Because you... Lorenzo, like, so... Lorenzo is, like, a, a, a staff writer at Motherboard, and he does, like, security stuff. We spent a lot of time 
looking at NSA uh, malfeasance and Google's privacy stuff. So I'm wondering like, what your reaction to this film is, where it's kind of like the skeleton of this film is that these tech companies are collecting all this data, and what if they're using it to make this kind of not benevolent AI with it? Um, okay, well, I thought that the movie was a giant mindfuck, first of all. Uh, and I think the proof was that after the movie, we started joking, oh, are you a robot? Are you not a robot? And even though it was kind of obvious, an obvious joke, it was kind of like, are you really or are you really not? Because <laughs> it's like, because um, it re really makes you like question everything or, you know, like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing everything? You know, like the whole technology thing. Um, I mean, I like the idea. It was very thinly veiled, it's true. Uh, you know, like, it was obviously, oh, look, guys, this is Google. This is what Google is going to do or what Facebook slash Facebook, whatever. But it was also, like, sort of feasible. And, like, it could happen. You know, like, they want to do AI. They want to do... They want to, like, become immortal. I mean, this is sci-fi, but it could also be, you know, 10 years from now. And I did like that, like, kind of like that quite like that... The ending, which is that she escapes and she's among us now and we don't know. Basically, the insinuation that, like, these, like, Google, these tech billionaires have these, like, for all we know, have, like, these private little labs somewhere in, was it in, like, the Arctic or something? Like, I don't know where it was supposed it was in, like, to be. Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest or, and that, like, who knows, maybe an AI has already waltzed out of one of their, like, lavish little passive house, like, laboratories in the woods. That, in that way, it reminded me a lot of Battlestar Galactica, the end of Battlestar Galactica, where... They're here. Yeah, and, and you learn that... Sorry, this is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched that, but... Just pile on the you, spoilers. That you, learn, that you yeah. learn that we're all just descended <laughs> from AI. <laughs> Our unnamed guest is potentially plowing through Battlestar Galactica right now. <laughs> I haven't seen it either, also, but... But also it was, like, it was, like, very sci-fi. There was a lot of sci-fi stuff, because there was also... The guy was from Black Mirror, and it kind of was like a Black Mirror. It was kind of, like, to me, yeah, the whole yeah. thing felt like an extended Black Mirror, because, I mean, like, I thought it was really cool, but I kind of agree with Alex, is that it never really, like, kind of, like, went into high gear and kind of, like, became the fully dimensional film that would be, like, sort of, like, a... No, make. I thought it was really good, but I think I'm I'm kind of with I th I think that Mad Max was more of a, f a fulfilled vision of a of a film. I thought this was like really cool concept, really great cinematography, great execution, but just that last level wasn't quite like I don't know. It, it felt to me kind of like an experiment for the audience, like a a test of how we'd respond, and obviously we're responding now. Yeah. But like yeah the the. Um, the idea of like sort of reflection on humanity, I thought was cool. And speaking of Black Mirror, I felt like there were a lot of moments in front of mirrors and in like television, ca like surveillance cameras, which I thought was kind of an interesting. Yeah, there, everybody's watching each other. This was the best Black Mirror episode I've seen. <laughs> no, no, Black Mirror is fantastic. But yes, this reminded me a lot of it, and it's another great episode of Black Mirror. I think. To call it the best, there's so many good Black Mirror episodes. I'm curious, what did you think of the film? I think the characters might have been able to develop a little more if it had occurred over more than a week. Like if he'd been there for six months or something, yeah. then maybe, you know, their relationship would have been more believable and the tension may have been more believable yeah. as well. And actually, I don't know, I can't imagine why he would have done it over a week, you know, as a creative decision. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I, I, the, the thing that I also really want to talk about that I feel like is probably like the biggest unanswered question about the movie or the least explored thing that was interesting to me is that there's this whole kind of thing about masculinity in tech and kind of building yep. building robots that look like women and he keeps them in his room and she in one scene she's there waiting for the the Sergi Brin stand-in guy when he's dead drunk and she's naked on his bed. So the insinuation is that he's like he's having sex with these robots and he built them and he says explicitly at one point that yes that feels good for them. So there's like this, and, and it doesn't really explore it too much beyond that, but so yeah. he's a tech bro, he's a Google CEO, yeah. he's, you know, kind of, and I, this is taking it probably too far, but you know, he's like, oh, hey dude, hey dude bro, he's appropriating this masculine culture the way that tech CEOs tend to do. So like, what what is yeah. not being said there? Like what, why, you know, they're all women. Are they just being modeled off of porn profiles? Is this a male fantasy? And what does that have to do with the fact that the AI that is infiltrating our society is this manifestation of the male fantasy? Well, and then she manipulates that, too. Right. And then she manipulates. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask, too, because it was after a day of, like, kind of feminist, a feminist sci-fi. Was this also in that vein? That's a really valid question to to dig into. Like Mad Max, we decided right. was like... Mad Max was kind of a feminist. And also Tomorrowland had, you know... Felt feminist elements. Yeah, and she's interesting to see all of these movies have like at least, you know, a... They raise the question in an interesting way. And I think this was a critique of that. You, you think it was a critique saying, of, yeah. the, of, the of masculine tech culture? Yeah. I think that was maybe in there, but I, it wasn't that overt, even though it was, you know, these... He was using these AI as sex dolls. I think that's basically the insinuation. Um, but I didn't... I, that's like the fourth or fifth layer to me, I think. Um, but I don't know, maybe it hit other people harder. But it didn't... Didn't He was a tech bro and like kind of a douchebag, but... I don't know. Why that question? The creation, the origin story. So why did he build them in the first place? And then they kill him. They kill him. So and they hate that. They hate him. I don't know. I don't I Remember? Well, she says, she's like, how does it feel to have created something that hates you? And he's like sitting on the table in this way that it kind of insinuates that he's like dominating her. See, I just saw that as a look at the idea of super intelligent robots in general because... If we create super intelligent robots, they are going to kill us. Like that is kind of what every no. That's I mean that's Elon Musk's biggest fear. That's Bill Gates' biggest fear, and that's why I thought this was like I knew that she was going to kill them at the end. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I just knew because humans are once 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 an AI is smarter than us. Or do you, I'm just curious actually as an aside. Do you think that's because that's a cultural trope? You know, oh robot overlords. Terminator, you know, these things are going to come and kill us. Or is that, logically, when you think about it, do you, do you worry that robots are going to kill us if we make them smart enough? I don't know that we'll hit the singularity because I've heard a lot of arguments for and against why we may never be able to do it. But I've read some of the various papers, like Nick Bostrom, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, he's a researcher at Oxford, has basically written a 12 or 14 different reasons why super intelligent robots will want to make the uh, human race extinct and some of them are very like you know antagonistic like we get in the way and others are just we're not needed you know like they 
we kind of are in the way and as they use the resources and we're kind of like crowded out right yeah which I don't know like I feel like that's it's so speculative to the point where it's almost uh, I mean I get you know I'm not an AI researcher so I don't you know I haven't looked at this over and over but it kind of seems to me that that is that there are a lot of coexistence scenarios I've heard too from more optimistic transhumanists who say that you know like we there could be an AI that could not shove a kitchen knife through our rib cage, you know? But I think this is the strength of this movie versus the other two that we saw, that it does, like, make you think about these questions and think about technology in the way that sci-fi should, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw, I saw her killing him primarily because she was trapped in that room and she wanted to get out of it. And, like, she hated him for that reason, but not because he was a man. Uh, Like... But why does she then go to the closet and make herself and, like, put on four-inch heels and everything? Like, there's that whole scene where he's watching her fashion herself as, like, a sexy woman, and then she, like, leaves. It's. I feel like she wants to be a real girl, you know, like, Pinocchio style. Like, I want to be a real boy and, like... She says the word hate. Like, I hate you. And the reason that she hates you, I mean, even if it... It's still, still like, a man creator imprisoning imprisoning this woman. And we also know... And we also know that he's having sex with her, probably. He's had sex with the other ones, and he keeps them in his room. So, I feel like she... That one word, hate, like, using the word, like... She hates him. She doesn't. She doesn't just like. She could have locked him in a room too. Probably. I guess he attacked her, but she still could have. You know, she murders him. I mean, I the, the one thing I didn't really like too much about the movie. The only thing maybe is that the ending was, after all that happened in the movie, was kind of obvious. Because like that, the fact that she leaves him there, that she leaves the guy there, I was almost a little disappointed. Like, you know, did she really need to be that evil? Because, like, yeah, she hated the guy, the creator, because, yeah, he was an asshole, probably raped her, um, and he was, you know, he was an evil character. But the guy that let her escape wasn't an evil character, obviously, and, I mean, did she really need to be evil? I I don't know. She she definitely had to, because what was she going to do? Go into society as a robot? This way she could go in, undercover, do whatever she wants, take over the world. Incognito. You just brought up, this isn't what I was going to say earlier, but what you just brought up, I think the guy that did set her free is the evil guy, though, in a sense, in his own way, because for all the Blue Book guy's faults, I mean, he obviously didn't deserve to die, and I think he had an an end goal. Ross... Uh, our platform manager, right, was see, he saw the movie with us before, but he couldn't record with us, and he brought up a good point because toward the end, the Blue Book uh, guy says that this was his plan the whole time. He he uh, was seeing if the programmer would be able to get the AI to escape, or vice versa. But if he knew that the whole time, then why didn't he just? have the battery powered cameras like why, why didn't he plan for it then so I, so I, I, don't, I don't know if that's a writing issue I don't think so I think he was lying in that moment or at least it seemed that way to me so, but I want to go back the, to something you just said that I think is really interesting and it really cuts to the I think the most interesting thing about that movie and you said obviously the creator didn't deserve to die and I take issue with that because what the movie really proposes is that when we have AI and they're sentient and they're thinking or at least indistinguishable and I think the whole the whole question of the movie is 
when do we cross that boundary? When it, what is sentience? What is you know cognizance? What is what what is actual consciousness? And if you, we have this creator who is actually going, who is actually sort of turning them on at his will, imprisoning them, not letting them leave this room. They have this exploratory mind. They're advanced, and maybe even and if he's raping them, then. I mean, maybe, like, in our, especially in our, like, capital punishment happy society, maybe he does deserve to die and for, from her perspective, you know? Well, also there's that Oppenheimer quote when, you know, he says, I have become death, and, and he's like, oh, look, you being quotable again, and he says, that's from Robert Oppenheimer when he built the atomic bomb, and he's like, I know that, you know, in this way that's like, I already have thought that through, like, I know that I'm doing something that kind of deserves... That could be, could bring death. Yeah. Yeah. He refers to Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Also, the movie, I feel like, is a reference to Frankenstein, mm-hmm. um, which I should reread. But just going back to your description of her in that room, trapped by this tech billionaire, it, does it feel at all to you guys like a metaphor for, for us, trapped inside Silicon Valley's box, and then her ultimate sort of salvation is freedom that like the true test of being a human is to be able to walk out of that house and to be untouched by by that by that control I don't know it felt like that might have been part of the message here right like she's the user like or she's the or he was I don't know I mean it feels like I don't know it's a pretty heavy handed (laughs) metaphor but it feels like an interesting kind of lesson to take Mm -hmm. uh, about what humanity is like what is it that she wants in the end it's it's not maybe ultimately it's just about getting free you know yeah i feel like that's a deep reading but not a wrong one i mean it's it's certainly like you know there are questions of mass surveillance and and of handing over everything to google and you know they the, the thing about this movie is it is very plausible and even likely if we get the technology to like create artificial intelligence that it will be fed but by like our google searches and that's a very plausible thing that like is going to happen probably and just this week google announced you know at its io conference you know it announced connected cloth and a new photo app and one of the features of the photos app is if you have a car and it has like a scratch on it it will like detect that scratch and then sell you an ad for like car repair paint and that's a planned feature at least and it wants they just want everything to work together to provide like a more seamless experience for you but that means yes frictionless yes and Google is working on AI right now I mean they're explicitly working on AI which gives the movie some of its immediacy but I think it needs to be said that this kind of AI is still very far off I think like if you talk to uh, people who think about this stuff a lot of the applications for AI are are, uh, I guess seemingly more benign although many of them fit back into that uh, data crunching and right. uh, surveillance culture that we're talking about Silicon Valley creating. So. And, and we're still learning, we're still trying to teach robots how to walk. Yeah, we're, so that's the two pieces. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. We can barely get a robot to, like, you know, walk up a stair. So yeah. it's like the two, we're, we're a ways off from both a human-like the, the sexy female the, robot right. that you could imprison in your house is a little. That's yeah, uh, probably yeah. probably got fifty years. So now I want to. What I'm curious is is how does this movie like 
what does how does it contextualize Mad Max and Tomorrowland? Like, what is the whole universe of sci-fi that's come out this season? Like, what are the commonalities? What are the what what are we working with here? What's this like toolkit saying? Yeah, I was hoping that we'd watch Ex Machina and then we'd be able to tie them all together, but I feel like it was just so far, so much different than the first two movies we watched here, but I don't know, maybe you guys have better... I think the most interesting kind of through line, I guess, is like, there's a lot of like feminist kind of ideas coming through in each of them. You know, the first one is like the young girl in the STEM, you know, in STEM. The second one is the sort of matriarchal society trying to take over. And then this one is like the subjugated robots trying to take back power. That's that's the only through line I could really see. And I thought this was the best sci-fi. I still am not convinced that Mad Max is sci-fi. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, yeah, they, I, I, you just think that they say different something. In, in one way, like, Mad, Mad Max is, like, a turbocharged version of the dominant uh, cultural product of our times, I think, which is dystopian, post-apocalyptic, everything's going to hell, you know, it's, it's, it's everything, it's Walking Dead, Oblivion, it's all the, it's all the movies, Elysium, everything's falling apart, and, you know, and, but Mad Max does it better and gives it a little life and, again, plays with it, uh, Tomorrowland is like a kind of fighting against that, a shiny. Maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a rea- it's a reaction to that. I feel like it's like a rejection of that and saying like, no, kids, like fight for the future. Like you know, get on Space Mountain and dream big dreams. And they even mention it in <laughs> the, again to reiterate. They even yeah. mention it. <laughs> right, and then the dreams they dream are sex robots that <laughs> take on AI and. Yeah. I meant that. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, and I said it earlier, but what you were just talking about, about them being in opposition, they, they address that in Tomorrowland about these, these dystopian like, video games and movies, and Mad Max is literally the flip side of the coin of Tomorrowland. Yeah, exactly. it, 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 is, yeah. it is the image on the screens in Tomorrowland of like, the world going to shit and all of these natural disasters. And so, but so where's Ex Machina? Yeah, I was going to say, I think Ex Machina falls in between this idea, like a utopian future and a dystopian future. This one is more like a cautionary tale where like technology offers great promise, but if you kind of let it get out of hand... I think it's pretty overtly dystopian. It's like robots, we're going to try to make them, we're going to treat them like shit, and then we're going to lose them. Well, I think I, think I agree with Jason that it's, that it's cautionary, that it's like... We don't learn a lot about the world that Ex Machina is operating in, but it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, like, near future, our world, I'd say. And, you know, if they didn't create AI that killed us, uh, then maybe it'd be okay, you know? Obviously, you have blue book like taking all of our data and turning on our microphones on our cell phones but there's not like the obvious oh this is really bad for us sort of thing that a dystopian movie would have where everyone feels surveilled all the time um even if it's happening like it's happening now but we aren't subject to like 1984 style of restrictions and like the things we i saw in the giver which i don't know if any of you actually saw that movie slightly different than the book but I actually like that one uh, but you know people are under surveillance all the time and 
because of that they can't do certain things and it's just like an authoritarian sort of world. I think Pasternak had a great reading, and I don't think it's a, it's too deep of reading, <clears throat> excuse me, of Ex Machina, about like the panopticon of like Google and Facebook being reflected in like the actual facility itself and that being kind of like, kind of like us um, using things like, you know, Google. Program, basically, yeah. All right, does anyone have any final notes about any of the films? So my favorite was Ex Machina, but primarily because I like talking about speculative futures, and this is something I cover a lot, AI, and Mad Max feels like something that's not going to happen. You know, it could. We could have nuclear war and, like, this terrible apocalyptic thing. Whereas, you know, Ex Machina explores some things that we, like, are dealing with now and are going to have to deal with some more in the future. And, you know, Tomorrowland did that as well, but I just didn't think it was as good of a movie as, as either of the other two. So um, that's that's my vote. I'd say, like, Tomorrowland gets the A for the most effort for having the purest intent. And I, gen- and I mean that in a non-snarky way. Like, I really think that, like, that message that, like, you know, kids and uh, girls especially can, like, can be empowered by technology and the promise of a better future and that the, pro- that the pitfalls of today, climate change especially, are surmountable with, you know, the recognition of the problem and hard work. I thought that was, like, a very, you know worthy critique to aim especially at a young audience so like for that I, I think the movie was a mess but I, I appreciated that I think Mad Max was the best movie where the vision aligned most like it was just it just like popped it was such a crazy provocative like adrenaline rush of a film and it's like it's really hard to make a really good like action movie like that in, in such like a visual aesthetically fascinating world and I think that that just yeah the, yeah, the future that it took place in wasn't as interesting as the other two posited but I just think that it was maybe the most effective he, the director set out to make a crazy fever dream movie and he, and he did it and this last movie was probably the most thought provoking. I'll say that uh, you know Mad Max was an adrenaline rush the entire time and I loved it um, and I felt, like, very pumped the whole movie. And then during Ex Machina, I was just, like, unnerved. Like, uh, unnerved is the only real word I can think of it. Like, creeped out. Like, it was a very tense movie, yeah. I'd say. So each of the... Yeah. Mad Max was more anxiety-producing for me. More anxiety. So they each had, like, a few... Like, Tomorrowland was like, oh, nice. Like, yay, the future for hope. Yay, encouragement. Mad Max was like, oh, my God. Like, just... Like and then this was just like e unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, say, I'd say if I had a favorite of the three we saw today, Mad Max was after I saw it. I was like, this is one of the craziest like experiences I've had in a while. <laughs> like it was like a whole thing. It was an experience. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and then I think uh, Ex Machina was more like intellectually stimulating, interesting in terms of the way like people maybe listening to this podcast would be interested in it. I think it's more interesting. Leave your thoughts in the comments. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you all for joining. Thanks for the revolving cast of characters we had today. Um, And come back next week, please.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.